0: Well, thank you, choir. Someone told me that Bob McAllister had placed on Facebook that um, he had lost an hour's sleep, so the pastor better have a barn-burning sermon this morning. Bob, I lost an hour's sleep also. And I guess you will need to snore louder than normal to keep me awake. So we'll work together on this. I'm glad that you're here today. And we continue our, our study in Paul's letter to the Philippians. We've come to chapter number 3. And chapter 3 is somewhat autobiographical. In the first 11 verses of that chapter, Paul is speaking about his past. He said, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I am a Pharisee, circumcised the eighth day, and so forth. So in those first 11 verses, he is reminding us of his past, who he is. In verses 12 through 16, he is speaking about what was happening to him currently, the current conditions that he was going through. And then verses 17 through 21 is about the future, when he says that we are citizens of heaven. We are here today, but we are moving to heaven. We are citizens of heaven. Well, as we continue our study, we are looking at that portion where Paul is sharing with us what currently was happening in his life. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. We'll begin in verse number 12, where we left off last time. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of, by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude— And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Now, Paul begins in these verses by acknowledging his imperfection. You'll see there in verse number 12, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect. You see, as a believer, we have the desire to be perfect, do we not? If we know Jesus Christ, the desire of our heart is that we might be like Him, that we might be perfect. That is our desire, yet we know that in this life, that is not going to happen. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew verse, chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for. For righteousness, Now, that's the desire. That is what we want. That is what we desire. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The word satisfied that he uses there is an agricultural word. It speaks of fattening out an animal. It happens a little bit at a time. That is what he is saying to us. As we have this desire, this hunger and thirst for righteousness, it is happening to us a little bit at a time, but it isn't going to be completed in this life. As a matter of fact, Paul seems to warn us about satisfaction in verse number 13, where he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. The truth is satisfaction can be detrimental to spiritual development because we stop growing. When we become satisfied with where we are, then we stop growing. We make two mistakes. The first is improper comparisons. We compare ourselves to something or someone who is less And then we become satisfied in our mediocrity. For instance, take students. Student takes a test, blows the test, makes a bad grade, but then doesn't feel too badly about it because after all, no one passed the test. Have you ever heard that as parents? No one passed. No one? Really? I mean, they all blew the thing? No one passed the test? Yeah, it was just one of those tests. Teacher messed up on that one. No one passed the test. I heard about a professor in the University of Denver in the business school. He gave a true false test. And they took the test. And then he looked back and saw one of the students flipping a coin. Looking at his test, flipping a coin. He said, young man... Are you guessing on this test? He said, No, sir, I'm checking my answers. <laughs> so when, when a student comes to the place that they are satisfied with mediocrity, then they stop developing. They stop growing. Everyone failed the test. Same thing is true with business. When a business becomes satisfied with where they are, then that business is going to die. In fact, John Patterson wrote, the business that is satisfied with itself, with its product, with its sales, that looks upon itself as having accomplished its purpose, is dead. We know that's true concerning students. We know that's true concerning business. And yet there are some of us who have become satisfied with where we are spiritually and we are no longer growing. I mean, we compare ourselves to one who is mediocre or someone who is less than we, and we conclude, well, no one is perfect. I don't want to be a hypocrite about it. No one is perfect. So I'm content. Where? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you content where you are spiritually? You see, there is a sense in which we are content in Christ, but we are not content with where we are personally. And if we become content with where we are personally, then we stop growing. And then we make erroneous evaluations about ourselves. That's especially true concerning the churches, the seven churches in Asia. I enjoy reading that occasionally in Revelation. They wrongly evaluated themselves. For instance, the church in Sardis It was the church of what's happening now. I mean, that's where it was happening. Everybody was there. It was the cool place to be. It was the church. At least that's the way they saw themselves. But Jesus said, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. The church in Laodicea, the church in Laodicea saw themselves as being rich Jesus said, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church in Smyrna saw themselves as being poor. But Jesus said, but you are rich. You see, folks, what happens to us when we become content with where we are, as a result of comparing ourselves to one who is less than us, then we misjudge ourselves. How does one properly evaluate oneself? If we want to do that, how do we properly evaluate our spiritual condition? Well, first of all, you compare yourself to Christ. You see, it is not another Christian who is the standard of measurement, it is Jesus who is the standard of measurement. And the Bible says, For all have sinned and what? And come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory. None of us measures up. Now granted, you might come closer than I, but you don't measure up. You have not reached perfection, nor have I. So that's what he is saying here, that Jesus then is the measurement. He is the standard of measurement. Now then, if Jesus is the standard and I compare myself to him, it creates what within me? Humility. So we compare ourselves to Christ. We compare ourselves to ourselves. I don't compare myself to Jerry or David, the attorney down here. I might do all right with you. I compare myself to Jesus. I compare myself to myself. Now, I may not have arrived, but am I making progress? Am I closer to the Lord now than I was last year? Am I more spiritual now than I used to be? Because if so, then I'm making progress, and that gives me hope. So when I compare myself to Christ, it creates humility in me. When I compare myself to myself and I'm making progress, that creates hope within me. So Paul began by acknowledging his imperfection. And then he said, I want to accomplish one thing. Verse number 13. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, some don't accomplish much because they are trying to accomplish too much. There is the danger of divided devotion. James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The word double-minded that is used, there's two Greek words. It means soul and twice. So, two souls going in opposite directions. So, the double-minded person can't accomplish much because they're going in two different directions. For instance, if a business becomes too diverse, chances are it won't be a success. If a business is too diverse... Going in too many directions, probably. For instance, let's say that the law firm is selling used cars on the side. You're probably not going to be successful. When, when, when the business gets too diversified, the chances of success become less. There are very few athletes who can, who can successfully compete in two sports. Double-minded, going in two different directions, When the church forgets its purpose and it begins to do too many things, forgetting its purpose, then the church cannot be successful. So, therefore, there is the necessity of selective devotion. Did you see what Paul said? One thing I do. One thing I do. We have to establish priorities. We have to establish goals. Yogi Berra said, If you don't know where you're going, you're likely to end up someplace else. One thing I do. Albert Barnes wrote Paul had one great aim and purpose of life. He did not attempt to mingle the world and religion. The truth of the matter is, the focused person is always more successful. I would say especially to the students, the more scattered you become, the more difficult it is for you to be successful. What's really important? What is really important to your life, to your future? And that, that's not where you are right now, but if, as you look down the road 10 years, 15 years, what will have been important then? Focus on that. The one who is able to focus on the important has a better chance of being successful. Barnes says to this singleness of purpose, Paul owed his extraordinary attainments in piety and his uncommon success as a minister. A man will accomplish little who allows his mind to be distracted by a multiplicity of objects. Is that true? When we have so many things in our mind, it's hard to be successful. So Paul says, there's one thing I do. His ambition to reach forward. Verse 13 continues. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. You know, I've said before, a church is like an airplane. It's going forward or it's going down. Paul says, I am reaching forward. Now, how do we reach forward? Well, according to what he is saying here, we forget the past. If we are going to reach forward, then we have to forget the past. He was in elementary school. The children had their pictures made. And the teacher was encouraging them to buy the yearbook. And she was saying, you, you need to get the yearbook. It's, it's going to be of interest to you as you get older. She said, and you'll be looking through the yearbook. And you'll say, well, there's Susie. Susie's a, a, an attorney now. And there's Jimmy. Jimmy's a doctor now. And there's Johnny. Johnny's a businessman there. And a little boy in the back said, there's the teacher. She's dead now. Someone said, people who live in the past are doomed to failure in the future. Forgetting the past, forget our past failures. Many of you know Cleve McClary, a South Carolina military hero. And he has the motto, FIDO, F-I-D-O. You know what that means? Forget it and drive on. There's a lot of things we have to put behind us. Forget it and drive on. Because we all have failures in our life. If we focus on our failures, we can't go forward. So we have to forget the past, forget those failures in life. Learn from them, but put them behind us. Paul experienced failure in his life. In 1 Timothy 1.13, he said, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. Now, that could have destroyed him had he just camped there. He said, that's what I was. But he put it behind him. He had been a failure. Simon Peter, he was a fa- he experienced failure in his life. He denied the Lord three times whenever he, he stood before the little girl. And she said, aren't you one of his disciples? He said, I don't know who the man is. Never seen him before in my life. Three times he denied the Lord. He had that failure in his life. King David. David committed adultery. David was responsible for the death of Uriah. All of those failures in his life, he experienced failure. We have failures in our life. Every one of us here has experienced failures in life. A man called um, the internet, he was ordering something off the internet. And as he was talking with the, the person, that, uh, or, or communicating with the person that was there, or put in his order, they came back and said, Well, we're not going to be able to ship this order until you pay for your last order. And he said, well, give me some time. He, he contacted them again the next day, and he said, cancel my order. I can't wait that long. We all have those failures in life, those things that have just not been what they should be. So how do we conquer them then? See, we have to conquer failures. If we all have failures, we have to conquer them. One of my favorite characters in the Bible is King David, and, and David uh, experienced so many failures in life, and yet the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Now, now what was, what's that all about? I mean, David, here's an adulterer, here's a guy who's a murderer, he's a liar, he did all those things, and yet the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. There was something about David's heart. He was a failure. He failed in those areas. Well, he failed in those areas of his life. He was not a failure. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Psalm chapter 51, where David is dealing with his failing. And he goes to the Lord and he confesses his sin. He confesses to the Lord. His heart is broken. He is repentant. And there he says in in, uh, Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. David dealt with the sin in his life. How do we conquer failure in our lives? Well, first of all, we rely on Christ in verse number 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Folks, here's what what Paul is saying, I think, is that the Lord is with us. Even in your failure, the Lord is with us. We confess our sin and we depend on His forgiveness. We honestly deal with our sin. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know where you are concerning anything. But here's what the Bible says that the Lord is with us. We confess our sin, we depend on His forgiveness. Okay, so we rely on the Christ. We depend on prayer. In 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we rely on Christ, we confess our sin, we depend on prayer, and we accept forgiveness. Now I looked at David. David confessed his sin, repented of his sin, accepted forgiveness. Peter confessed his sin to the Lord, accepted forgiveness, and was restored to service. Ladies and gentlemen, in order to deal with the failure in your past, you confess it, you honestly deal with it, you repent of it. And according to the Bible, if you honestly repent of sin, God forgives us, God forgives you. So you accept Forgiveness. It's one thing to confess sin. You know, so many of us probably come to the Lord multiple times saying, Lord, forgive me of this sin. Forgive me of this sin. Forgive me of this sin. And we don't have victory in our life because we don't accept His forgiveness. We ask for forgiveness, but we don't accept it. He said that He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you honestly repent of sin in your life and accept His forgiveness, Then you're restored to service. We have to put behind us the past failures and past successes. Don't live today in celebration of yesterday's successes. I would ask you, what's God doing in your life today? If we gave testimonies, we'd probably have to reach back and say, well, the Lord did this back there. The Lord did that back there. What's God doing in your life today? Today. What's he doing right now in your life? We forget the past, we pursue the future. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forget the past, pursue the future. You know, that's one of the things I love about this church. This is an old church. You know that. It's been here for over 200 years. It's an old church. The thing I like about it, is that it has never stopped reaching forward. Even though it has been here and has, a, has a, a, an unusual past, it constantly is reaching forward. That, I guess the best example of that or the latest example of that is the purchase of the Y. I I mean, here we are on this block. We've been here for over 200 years. And now to purchase the why. Why? Because we're moving forward. We're moving forward with the Lord. Not content with the past, but reaching forward. And he says that we are to move forward with intensity. The word I press carries with it the idea of intensity. In fact, it is a word picture of a hunter that is pursuing game with intensity. You you men, you husbands know what that is. You pursued your wives with intensity. Now you don't know what to do with them, but you you pursued them and got them. You pursued with intensity. That's what that word means. Verse number 10, Paul says that I may know him. There's the intensity. That I may know him. He was pursuing God with intensity. Pursue the future with a laser-like focus. Paul never lost sight of his goal when he was writing to Timothy from a Roman prison about to be executed, and this is is what I would like to be able to say when I die. I guess I'd have to say it before I die, but at that time, around that time, I'd like to be able to say this. Fought a good fight, kept the faith, finished my course. Paul was able to say that. Why? Because he pursued with intensity the will of God for his life. I mean, that was the motivation. That was the goal. And he was able to say that when he came to the end of life. Jesus focused on the will of the Father. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. He came to the end of his life, and from the cross, he said, It is finished. I did it. I did what God put me here to do. Ladies and gentlemen, we must pursue the future with intensity and with focus. And then he said, and adopt the same strategy in verse number, or standard, verse 16. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. He gives three words for our standard, the standard that you and I need to set. He says, first of all, run the race in verse number 13. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Folks, you can't finish a race you don't start. An athlete can't cross the finish line unless he got off the starting block. You have to start the race to finish the race. The church has to begin the race to finish the race. Are you in the race? Are you running the race today? He says, first of all, run the race. Get in the game. Get in the race. Secondly, he said, obey the rules in verse number 16. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. If we fail to obey the rules, we're disqualified. We know that with an athlete, that if an athlete is going to win the game, then he has to play according to the rules. Otherwise, he is disqualified. Paul says the same thing is true for Christians in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I buffet my body and make it my slave, lest possibly after I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Samson disobeyed the Lord and lost his strength. King Saul disobeyed the Lord and lost his kingdom. So we have to live according to the word of God. Folks, if we're going to win the race, we have to get in the race. We have to follow the rules. And thirdly, then we receive the prize in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Chrysostom wrote, He that runs looks not at the spectators, but at the prize. An athlete focuses on the prize. He focuses on the championship. He focuses on the trophy. He focuses on the prize. If you're going to run, then we receive the prize if we run correctly. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, run in such a way that you may win. We want to live our lives in such a way that when we stand before the Lord, we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Why in heaven's name would we as Christians just meander through life, content not to count for God in such a demanding day? Paul says, run that you might win. Run that you might win. Run in such a way that when you stand before the Lord, you hear him say, good job. Let me conclude. We are imperfect like the Apostle Paul, we have not arrived. We are not perfect. We should be committed to one thing the Lord Jesus Christ. That should be your commitment. You should be committed totally, wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. Thirdly, focus on the prize and see what God does. Henry Barney said in the sermon, It remains to be seen what God will do with a man who gives himself up totally to him. Dwight L. Moody heard that. That became the desire of his heart. I want to be that man who's totally committed to God. That became his goal. And in the next 40 years, Dwight L. Moody won a million people to faith in Jesus Christ. And was the founder of three Christian schools. I wonder what God wants to do with you. What does he have in mind for you? If you're willing to focus on Christ. Lay aside everything else. What powerful things God can do with you. If you're totally committed to him. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts today. That we might want to be a person totally committed to you. Lord, what an adventure. Experiencing your power. Your vision. Lord, being the person that you want us to be. To make the difference you want us to make. I pray, Heavenly Father, that during this invitation time that people will be responsive to you. For those who have never been saved, that today they would. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In just a moment we're going to stand and the choir will sing the hymn of invitation. If you're here without Christ, I encourage you to come trusting him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing. You come. I'll greet you as you do.